You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional. Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. To save his life He thought he could grab Each muff he wanted to have And realized too late He grabbed the wrong vouch Hey, hey, his stormy night with me Came and went Worst 90 seconds that I ever spent his mushrooms so small, I hardly felt it at all. There's nothing much to grab behind those prison walls. Hey, hey, he's indicted and it feels so good. He's indicted cause he's such a hood. His mugshot will be broadcast on every TV. We all are so excited cause he's been indicted, hey, hey. So he had Michael Cohen in the back, but now he's spilled his guts to Cause this 
while he goes down in disgrace. The rest of us will pop champagne and celebrate. Hey, hey, he's indicted and it feels so good. He's indicted cause he's such a hood. His purple will be on every Instagram feed. We all are so excited cause he's been indicted. Hey, hey, he's indicted and it feels so good. He's indicted cause he's such a hood. His charges will be the first in our history. We all are so excited cause he's been indicted. Hey, hey. Oh. Ah, Founders Sing. Boy, they, they were right on top of it. You know, I wonder if they had the production ready to go, knowing that, that it was gonna happen. I think, I think that Jimmy Fallon's staff actually had this one ready to go because I can't imagine. No, I can't find it. Um, come on, Jimmy Fallon, where are you? Oh, here it is. I, I can't imagine they were able to pull this together so quickly. But this is a quick one, and then we're going to get right to our guest. Sorry, I just I had to have a little silly fun. You know, come on, it's Friday and everything. All right, take it away, um, Donnie. I'm so indicted, and I just can't hide it. I'm about to go to jail, and I don't like it. I'm so indicted, <laughs> and I just can't hide it. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I am so screwed. Yeah, it's that. It's short and sweet, but perfect. So yesterday on the show, I'm on the air with Howie Klein, and we're playing with the chat GPT bot, and Howie tells, you know, Howie says that he had been asking it to write poetry and song lyrics in the style of different artists. I mean, he's really been playing. It's, it's, it's Hal. He's named it Hal. I, I haven't gotten that far quite yet. But then when the, the news of the indictment came down and I started singing, he's so indicted. And we had him, the ch- Hal, the chat, write <clears throat> lyrics to a parody. Um, and I sent it off to Lauren Mayer, as I told you I would. And she said, Great minds think alike because I'm already working on it. So hopefully before the show ends today, Lauren Mayer's He's So Indicted parody will be here. If not, we'll have to wait till Monday. But I thought that was enough to get us started today, right? Uh, What a weird 24 hours it's been. And uh, well, uh, we're not really going to talk about that because I booked our guest before the news came down of the indictment. But of course, I've got to ask Corey Doctorow. Um, uh, Corey, hi, first of all, welcome back to the program. (laughs) Thanks for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's always a thrill. I I always love talking to you because we have the best conversations. Um, But the news was kind of unexpected yesterday. (laughs) And I love the parodies. I love when people get creative about things that are current and topical. It's it's the merging yeah. of both yeah, worlds. Yeah, me too. It's, it's important to take a moment and savor a green shoot. You know, there's a realistic part of me that says that um, Trump is too dumb to be a cause. He is at best an effect. And that the uh, forces that 
created Trumpism. Don't go away. Uh, we're, we're talking about one of my novels today, but actually I write when I'm anxious, which means that Trump was very good for my uh, productivity. I have seven books in production right now. Whoa. And the third book I have out this year, <laughs> which will come out in November, is a novel called The Lost Cause. And it's basically about truth and reconciliation with Trumpists after a better future arrives and, and what it means to have tens of millions of your neighbors be so far on the wrong side of history and what we do about it. Because as Americans, and I, I became an American last summer, I'm, I'm, as you can hear from my accent, I'm a Canadian. Ah. Uh, I, as, as Americans, one thing we are singularly bad at is reckoning with our past. We're just, uh, as my as my Welsh mother-in-law likes to say, we practice least said, soonest mended. Let's just not talk about <laughs> what happened. You know, this is, we might call this, uh, you know, the, the proto-desanticism. <laughs> and, you know, if we never reckon with these people and the beliefs they have and the origins of those beliefs, both hateful and fearful, because I think those are two different things, then those currents aren't going to go away. I mean... I called the novel The Lost Cause because there are people who are still deeply identified with the Confederacy more than a century later when the Confederacy itself was this incredibly short-lived phenomenon, right? It was, mm -hmm. it was you know, this, this momentary blip in American history. Yes, it ended with this catastrophic uh, war, but... But as a, an actual thing, this is like identifying with pet rocks or something. Like it barely existed. It, it blinked in and out of existence in a matter of, of really months. And so, you know, unless you talk about it, it's going to stick around. And even if you do, it kind of sticks around. I was thinking today about this and about the, the, the belated or the, the failed second beer hall putsch in Germany where this guy who was um, descended from some distaff German royalty and a bunch of his weird cronies tried to storm the Reichstag uh -huh. earlier, late last okay. year. Over, it, I don't think it was even fascist grievance. I think it was like like hundred years war grievance. Wow! And here are these weirdos, you know, nursing this this grudge. And you know, I grew up going uh, to to Purim parties and swinging the noisemaker every time someone mentioned the name of the Grand Vizier of some long end Persian emperor. So you know, I understand that grudges can linger, but even so. It seems to me that if we think our problems are going to end with Trump, no, yeah, <laughs> irrespective of what happens to him, that we are missing something important. And having been Debbie Downer, by all means, let us take the W. Right. right. Let us Must. let us have a Friday afternoon mm -hmm. of Schadenfreude, Trump and Schadenfreude, <laughs> uh, and uh, and and uh, a brief respite from that period in which he lived rent free in our head to make us miserable, and let us now let let him live rent free in our head and make us kind of guiltily uh, glad. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Absolutely. I, look, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, when I'm hearing all the, the, the punditry on TV is just too much. I just have to turn that off. And I'll listen to these silly parody songs because, you know what, yeah. it'll play out how it does. This is the first, I think, domino that's going to fall. Obviously, of all the charges, the investigations brewing about him, this is probably the least substantial if it is the, just the, the payoff, sure. the hush money. But somebody had to do it first, and I guess Alvin Bragg thought, I'll take the fall. And then now when he's indicted in Georgia or when he's indicted um, uh, federally by, by Jack Smith, 
it won't be unprecedented anymore. It won't be sure. something like no president has ever been uh, indicted. Yeah, he has. All right, so let's move right. on from that and talk about what he did. And, and you know, listening to the hair on fire complaints of the right-wing pundits, um, no, democracy hasn't ended. The world hasn't ended. Think about it. Donald Trump is now a politician from New York. How many politicians from New York over the years have been prosecuted for their crimes? Right. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, he he is a real expression of boss politics for sure. Which yes, you is. know, Tammany Hall, New York politics are really deeply in, um, a part of. And and I want to say the corollary of of Trump being too dumb to be uh, a cause and only being an effect is that if this does fizzle out, if the political will evaporates, if a corrupt judiciary refuses to to hold him to account the way that uh, anyone else would be held to account for comparable uh, misdemeanors and crimes, then um, it also isn't the end of the world. Because right. in the same way that locking up Trump won't solve our problems, him walking around a free man isn't going to have much nexus with it. He is, he is at best, someone very good at channeling the id of some very unhappy people who have a mix of legitimate grievances and absolutely nutso paranoid fantasies yep. And, you know, I wrote a column about this a little while ago uh, in the wake of the anti-15-minute city demonstration in Oxford in the UK, which is just the most bonkers conspiratorial nonsense you can imagine. But I, I called it the swivel-eyed loons have a point because the stuff that they were worried about was a mix of things that are nuts and things that aren't nuts. Like the World Economic Forum aren't your friends. Right. <laughs> yeah. Close shots. Close shots. Yeah. Dick. Right. right. I have spoken at the World Economic Forum. I'm here to tell you it, it is not composed of nice people who are your friends and want the best for humanity. In the same way, license plate cameras are super creepy. Right. And, the, you know, the, uh, the the rise and rise of ALPRs, automatic license plate recognition systems, mm -hmm. and their use in dragnet surveillance is really, really creepy and bad for a future in which we have some democratic fundamental right to privacy. So, you know, as we, as we I hope, start to think about how progressive movements can tease apart the forces that created these reactionary, panicked, destructive political currents, I hope that we can keep in mind the stuff that they, that they are right about, the surveillance, the... Yeah problems of big business, big tax problems, and so on, and not give them a pass, but at least focus on these areas of commonality. And if you can't bring yourself to do that, at the very least, remember that just because they have suddenly decided that, say, the FBI are their enemies, it doesn't make the architects of COINTELPRO your friends. Right. The FBI are not the friends of progressive movements. The intelligence community are not good guys. The intelligence community ran guns to the Contra so they could Contra so they could tie nuns to trees and bayonet them for arguing for land reform. Right. Right. And and yes, they're guilty of a lot. And you're right, they're not good guys. But they're also not complicit in all the things that the right wingers sure. are yeah, telling yeah, yeah. us they are. They're yeah, they yeah, have not been right. weaponized to go after conservatives. If you believe yeah. that, you're you're as bad as they are. Well, and and the point being not to say that oh well they're they're uh, they're they're bad guys because they're going after conservatives or right. they're good guys because they're going after conservatives the point is to remember that irrespective of how conservatives feel about the intelligence community by which i mean spies mm -hmm. uh um those people are not on our side it doesn't matter 
it 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 literally doesn't matter what they're doing in respect of the the swivel-eyed loons, right? They are still not the allies of progressive politics. Never, they have, never have been. been. Right. Never will be. And it and it and it doesn't matter about the individual proclivities of any of these people either. Mm-hmm. I actually know some spooks, some of whom seem to be decent people whom you might invite to a dinner party. Their job is to do something bad. Mm. And and as an institution, they are rotten institutions. We have to remember that. Okay. Well, this is Corey Doctorow, everybody. And if you're not familiar with Corey, you really should be. First of all, you amaze me that you're, you you said you have seven books in development. You have written, Corey is an author, writing not only like great nonfiction work, like his latest one, the last time you were here, we were talking about your most recent nonfiction book, Choke Point Capitalism, that you're still touring over, which everyone should read. But you also write these novels and you've got a new one out. What are, the genre is like, thriller um steampunk thriller or something cyberpunk cyberpunk, cyberpunk. Anti, it's an anti-finance finance thriller and the tendency in science fiction i most identified with are the post cyberpunks so uh <laughs> you know um people who understand that uh high-tech dystopias were a warning and not a suggestion uh and who grew up reading them and became committed to the idea that technology if it doesn't serve as a force for liberation will serve as a force for control and and for for human debasement uh and so that's you know the project i've devoted myself to both literarily and as an activist i i've worked with a a digital human rights group called the electronic frontier foundation for more than 20 years now and and um you know, one of my claims to fame is that uh, when Ed Snowden went on the run, one of the books you can see him grabbing in the documentary to stick in his bag and take with him is is the sequel to my novel, Little Brother, Homeland. Uh, and so, you know, that's the that's kind of where I position myself. Red Team Blues is um, it's an old fashioned noir detective thriller about some very newfangled ideas. Uh, so if the Old-fashioned war detective thriller, the, the prototypical hero is someone who's come back from the war and is sort of grindingly outraged at the way society has changed in his absence. My hero is a guy called Martin Hench, who spent 40 years in Silicon Valley as the premier forensic accountant of high-tech scams. Ooh. And now at the age of 67, he is ready to retire and has that same simmering rage, but about how the finance cuckoos in the nest have devoured tech and uh i don't know can i swear on yes you can absolutely they they have enshittified tech right they have (laughs) have taken everything uh, all the value that was there and they've wrung it out and left nothing behind but these services that are just barely functional enough that we can't bear to let go of them but at the same time mostly serve to harvest uh, the value from us and from the people we care about, whether they're creative workers who are being abused by YouTube or whether they're um, uh, other people, political figures that we care about and follow or what have you, that that really it's a, uh, the services are uninterested in providing value to the media or to uh, the audience. They're really just interested in interposing themselves between them, re-intermediating. You remember when we used to talk about disintermediation, we are now in the era of re-intermediation of these tech platforms between us. And so here he is with this one last job, Marty Hench, 67 years old. And that last job is working for an old friend who's a legendary cryptographer from the days when crypto meant cryptography. And this guy has unwisely created a cryptocurrency that has become very successful. Mm. And even more unwisely, he hid a back door in it so that you could move the money around in a way that you're not supposed to be able to. Hi. 
there for reasons that seemed good to him at the start, but now that unknown parties have stolen it, everything is at risk. Uh, And so Marty has to track them down, and he does, but that kicks off something much more difficult than merely finding some stolen keys. He has to survive a three-way war between Azerbaijani money money launderers, uh, Mexican narcos, and corrupt three-letter U.S. federal agencies (laughs) Uh, who uh, all have him in their crosshairs. So it's a real kind of hard-charging detective novel. I knew I had a winner when I wrote it, and I, I, I gave it to my wife, and I rolled over at 2 in the morning, and she was sitting up in bed reading it. Wow. I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I, I had to can't, find out how it is. Can't put it down. Well, there, there yeah. you know you have a winner. But there's the problem, Corey Doctor, who isn't there? Because your book, um, uh, Red Team Blues, I love the name yep. of it, um, it's out. It's commercially available. It is. Well, no, 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 not no. until the end of this month. Okay, so it will be. Yes. But yeah. you you can buy the hardcover book. But if you go on the you know the where where most people get their audiobooks, where the majority of audiobooks are released, which is through Audible, which is a subsidiary of Amazon, you will not be able to get Red Team Blues because they won't carry any of your audiobooks. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, this book has. I got all the signs of doing well. My my editor, within a week of my sending it to him, had bought a, bought this and two sequels. Wow. Um, it has swept all the trade uh, publications, gotten starred reviews in all of them. But Audible won't carry it uh, as they refuse to carry all of my audiobooks because my audiobooks don't have what is called digital rights management, which you know, keeping in 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 uh, in keeping with our earlier discussion, is yet another form of encryption. Mm-hmm. This one is supposed to stop people from pirating audiobooks. It doesn't. It's very easy as a practical matter to defeat. But uh, under a Clinton-era law, the the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, it is a felony punishable by a five-year prison sentence and a $500,000 fine for a first offense to supply someone with a tool that allows them to walk away from DRM, to unshackle their book from Amazon's platform, break up with Amazon, and go to another platform, which means that Amazon knows that every dollar that a writer makes selling a book on Audible is a dollar that that writer's audience will have to forfeit if the writer bails on them, which means that Amazon knows they have those writers over a barrel. And so uh, we see Amazon now doing something I call the shitty technology adoption curve, which is when you want to do something terrible to people with technology, you do it first with uh, technology, with with people who have very little agency. So Amazon started here with the people who use ACX, which is its self-serve platform for independent audiobook creators. And they did a thing that's colloquially called AudibleGate. It's a wage theft that accounted for at least $100 million in money stolen from independent creators. Um, And I think we can only expect more to come. And so uh, because Audible won't carry any of my books and because Audible is 90% of the audiobook market for for science fiction, my publishers are, you know, understandably not interested in investing in audiobook editions of my work. And so I do it myself. I run these Kickstarter campaigns where I pay for top-notch studios, top-notch narrators, top-notch editors, and we produce independent audiobooks. We sell them everywhere that audiobooks are sold except Amazon, um, but that's frankly not much of a market. We don't get a lot of sales there, but we pre-sell them through the Kickstarter, and that that pays for it and then some. So right now I'm running one of these Kickstarters. I, I just came out of the studio uh, the uh, day before yesterday 
uh, after recording with Will Wheaton for mm. three days. Nice. Uh, an amazing narrator. Best best narrator I, I, I've wow. had. Don't tell the other ones because they're all very good. <laughs> I've had Neil Gaiman and I've mm. had Amber Benson from Buffy and and even uh, um, um, the guy who played uh, Bulky on Perfect Strangers, Bronson Pinchot, oh, did wow. an amazing job okay. on one of my sure. books. But, but, but uh, Will, there's just something really simpatico, I think because we have such similar backgrounds in terms of our technology uh, interests that he just gets it. So it's now up there. If you go to redteamblues.com, it'll redirect you to the Kickstarter. And the point of this is to show other authors that we can treat Amazon as damage and route around them. That if, if we put in a concerted effort as a body, that our audiences will follow us to other places, even things as weird and unwieldy as buying something on a Kickstarter, waiting 30 days <laughs> to get it. You know, and, and if that can happen, then we can start to Put the fear of God into Amazon. You know, nobody nobody ever bought an audiobook because they wanted to make sure that Jeff Bezos had a steady supply of penis-shaped rockets, right? They, <laughs> That's they, true. They buy the books because they care about the authors. Mm -hmm. And so we right. need and to give our audiences alternatives, and our audiences will take those alternatives if we make a big enough stink, and we can make a difference. And it doesn't mean that we have to get rid of Audible. We just need to reform it. We Maybe we maybe someday Lena Khan from the FTC will break them up. But in the meantime, if we can put the fear of God in, in them, they will treat us better. And if they treat us better, like letting us decide whether we have DRM on our books, which will let us leave if they treat us worse, then we will have them over a barrel instead of the other way around. You know, Corey, you're making so much sense. And yes, people do, especially with authors, I think there's a personal connection there. They want to support the author. That's why they buy your book. And if you're not seeing the rewards for the hard work you've done, then what's the point? Jeff Bezos doesn't need the money. How about if he, you know, shares the wealth, uh, both with his right. employees and with the, the creators whose stuff he's selling? Well, look, anyone who's paid attention to Amazon's history knows what happens when Amazon has the whip hand over a supplier. Early on in Amazon's history, when they when they started to dominate the uh, print book market, they launched a program called Project Gazelle, in which product managers were exhorted to consider themselves as cheetahs hunting down sickly gazelles and bringing them down out of the pack. And this was a, uh, a program that targeted uh, independent publishers, small presses. And they went to them and they demanded unsustainable discounts that would eventually drive them bankrupt. And they said, what is your preference? Do you want to go bankrupt in a year uh, from, from giving Amazon these deep dish discounts? Or do you want to go bankrupt tomorrow? Because we're not going to sell your books. Right. And um, the only part of Project Gazelle that Amazon's lawyers objected to was the name, which they thought would reflect badly on the company. Oh, my God. You know, yeah, there, there's so much we could say about Amazon. And it, it's all been said and will continue to be said. And yet nothing happens because uh, I guess as Americans, as humans, we, we value convenience. Um, well, and we, we should, well, I we should think, reconsider, I, I, don't I guess. I think that's true. No? I don't, think the, I don't think the problem with monopoly is that we shop wrong any more than the problem with the environment is that we recycle wrong, right? right? You, you know, yeah, it sucks that we have to drive cars to get everywhere, but no one can dig their own subways, including Elon Musk, mm -hmm. right, who has signally failed to do anything except release press releases about his, his forthcoming subway that will solve our problems as opposed to actual subways, right? 
And so, you know, these are collective action problems. That was kind of the point of choke point capitalism is that you're not going to solve these individually. The only way to solve them is by thinking of them as a group. So yeah, me personally, I can go out there and I can hustle my butt off to sell a lot of audiobooks through these Kickstarters. But a lot of writers aren't situated to do that. What we need to do is band together, right? If a hundred significant writers or even 10 front list writers, if everyone on the New York Times bestseller list in one week said that their next book would not be available on Audible for a year mm-hmm. until it had sold on every other platform without DRM, unless Audible dropped its DRM policy, that is a way that we could make an actual difference, right? But we're not going to make a difference mm-hmm. by by shopping harder. I mean, look, one of the effects of Amazon is that they've denuded the main street. Where are you going to shop if you don't shop at Amazon? Exactly. It's like... Lily Tomlin and the and the you know playing the phone operator. We don't have to care. We're the phone company. What are you going to do? Get two Dixie cups and a string, right? So you know the the problem isn't um, that you shopped wrong. The problem isn't your individual responsibility. The problem is we let Amazon buy hundreds of companies, engage in predatory pricing and other predatory uh, conduct that violates the plain language of the Sherman Act, the Robertson Patman Act, the Clayton Act, the Federal Trade Commission Act. And we just didn't enforce those laws. And now we're starting to. Under Biden, we have got our first round of real antitrust enforcers who are paying attention, dusting off these old laws, and insisting that they will enforce them. Lena Kahn, Jonathan Cantor. Mm -hmm. And overseas, we have Marguerite Vestager in the European Union. There is going to be some stuff going on. And these are going to be chances for our collective action. And that's what we need to focus on. Great. And in fact... Uh, the first time we spoke, we were talking about antitrust legislation that wasn't there, the Sherman Act that wasn't being enforced. And you said there's something coming down. It, and and yeah. sure enough, not too long, it was like the next day or something that it, legislation was introduced, but that was the 117th Congress, and it didn't go sure. through. And here we are in the 118th, and unfortunately, uh, the Republicans control the House. Where are they on the, these kind of issues? Oh. Are there they was with a us? bill introduced today that has among its co-sponsors Elizabeth Warren and Ted Cruz. Whoa, whoa! To to, to break up the ad tech giants. Nice. So okay. The, there is there is bipartisan support. I do not think the Republicans in Congress, with maybe a couple of exceptions, really care about this stuff. I think that they that they have a highly selective version of it. Uh, Riley Quinn from the Amazing Trash Future podcast. He says. The Republicans would be happy if all social media companies opened every board meeting with think it's like those stolen land acknowledgements you get, except it'd be a stolen likes acknowledgement. They would just say, like, we acknowledge as the board of directors of Facebook Inc. that our fortune was built on the stolen likes of right wing culture warriors who are shadow banned by weak need leftists and that that would be like all they care about. Right. They don't care about reducing corporate power. They care about reducing corporate power that is not kind and deferential to them. Nevertheless, at this moment, we have this bipartisan support. And you know what? One of the things about the Republican base is there are elements in it who, if they actually believe what their leaders are saying, that this corporate concentration is dangerous, won't necessarily follow them when those leaders turn around and say, actually, corporate concentration is great, mm. right? That, that, that some of those people are going to stick to our fingers, right? What the, the, I think that a lot of what drives the present paranoid style in American politics is an absolute legitimate collapse of faith in our institutions because of their corporate control. You know, when, when, when people say, I don't trust vaccines because 
um, pharma companies are corrupt and the FDA lets them do whatever they want, even if it kills people. That part's not wrong. Like, right. I'm, I'm well. fully vaccinated. I spent all day yesterday lying on the sofa after getting my second shingles oh. vax. Uh-huh. I'm fully, fully vaccinated. You name it, I got it. I glow. I get 5G. You know, <laughs> like, I'm, in, I'm fully, fully equipped here. Nevertheless, I also have a chronic pain problem. And I saw a doctor 10 years ago who said, you just got to take opioids every day for the rest of your oh, life. God. It's fine. They're right. safe. Uh-huh. And I did my own research, mm-hmm. right? I concluded that the FDA was a toothless watchdog enthralled to evil billionaires, namely the Sackler family. I was right. The anti-vaxxers are wrong. I do not, however, have the cell biology, virology, or other technical background to tell you why I'm right and they're wrong to do, to do my own research on a routine basis. So I think that like, if you want to understand how we ended up in a place where it is plausible to say don't trust vaccines, you have to acknowledge the role that monopoly and corporate concentration and the ensuing corruption has played in the in the just terrifying collapse of trust in our institutions. Well, that's true, but there are there are also you know people who put their trust in public officials and elected sure. officials. And I'm down here in Florida, and I have a governor. I hate uh, yes, uh, we're we're leaving. Hopefully, not soon enough. But listen to this. This is the this is what we're dealing with. This is the governor of Florida, Joe Latipo. Can talk a little bit more about it. Like, By the almost- way, Joe Latipo is his joke of a surgeon general here in Florida. Okay, so this is DeSantis. Talk a little bit more about it. Like almost every study now has said with these new boosters, you're more likely to get infected with the bivalent booster. That's bullshit. So what it's possible bullshit. reason could you force that? And we're one of only a few countries. Oh, in the- shut I just heard this voice, his fingernails on a blackboard. I, I know. So, He's, he, so the, the, I think that what you have to ask, like, so there, there is a kind of, I'm not a liberal, I'm a leftist. There's a kind of liberal <laughs> who says that, Trump won the election because Mark Zuckerberg built a mind control ray to sell your nephew fidget spinners. And then the Russians and Robert Mercer stole it and made your uncle into a QAnon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that that is nonsense. Everyone who's ever claimed to have a mind control ray was lying to themselves or us or both. MK Ultra, pickup artists, neuro-linguistic programming weirdos, Rasputin, right? They're all full of shit, right? But there is something that happened. And I think what happened is Facebook is a is a really good targeting system. Mm-hmm. And if you have some correlates for people who are willing to believe that our institutions can't be trusted, then you can target them with messages that start with a convincer, I don't think institutions can be trusted either, and then go on to bring in some things that are just as dubious as the idea that institutions can't be trusted, but which fill a void where they don't have any strongly held beliefs, yeah. right? Every like, I, I forget who was saying it last week, but there was a thing last week about um, the jurisdictional questions about Trump's indictment, or I guess it was this week, Trump's indictment in, in Florida, and also uh, whether this this thing that Disney did with the royal family's last heir <laughs> and so on. And someone said, like, you know, let's let's just limit ourselves. Like, can the writers of this dumb show limit themselves to one obscure <laughs> thing that I've never heard of before that I now have to have a firmly held belief about on 15 minutes notice? You know, I think that, like, people don't know anything about vaccines, most mm-hmm. of us, to a first approximation. I mean, we know more about it now than we did three years ago, but we still are We're not are experts not, by any means, right? qualified to speak about vaccines. Mm-hmm. 
People know a lot about the trustworthiness of institutions, right? They have direct experience. If you're one of the, uh, if you're someone who lost one of the 800,000 Americans who's, who died in the opioid epidemic, you have a, an absolutely justified, firmly held belief about whether institutions can be trusted. And so if someone comes along and says the institutions can't be trusted, and by the way, a thing you know nothing about, vaccines, here is something else that I'm going to say. Well, you've got like this kind of reliability check. It's like in the old science fiction novel, uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where they say if you carry a towel, people will assume you've got a toothbrush and keys and a sleeping bag and like, a, you know, a French English dictionary and whatever. And they will believe you when you say you lost them and ask them to help you replace them, right? Because it's a convincer, right? The convincer is unlike a, a certain politician who very unwisely said America was always great, right? Uh, you have a politician who will say the thing that we all know to be true, which is that the system is rigged. Right. And the fact that he's planning to go on and rig it more in some ways is less important than the fact that he validates something that you know in your bones to be true, right? And and again, this is why, like, please, my, I, I, I mean, I know leftists and liberals are not necessarily on the same side on everything, but please, my liberal friends, stop telling people that the intelligence community are good people just because they're they're... For once, momentarily, that stop clock is right. You know, they are they are not going to fight billionaires. Right. The enemy of your enemy is not necessarily your friend. Not right? your friend. Right. Right. So this uh, is how we gave guns to the Contras. Right. 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 Yep. <laughs> they gotcha. are not our friends. Uh, Corey, uh, my husband is always in the next room because he works. Okay. We both work out of the house. And occasionally he comes in and points to the microphone that I've set up for him because he buds in all the time. But he has a uh -huh. question or a comment. Sure. He wants to. Go. David. Meet Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi. Big fan um, of every time you've been on the show. I've enjoyed it tremendously. Um, first of all, real quick, in regard to your pain issue, have you ever tried kinesiology tape? I have. And I've it didn't work it. for I, you? You name it, I've tried it. Yeah, okay. yeah no, no. I've, I've tried even the things that are like not evidence-based, like clearly not evidence-based in the hopes of triggering a placebo effect. I, well, I've tried it all. Well, sorry, it didn't work for you. The, other, the, the main question I wanted to ask, though, is... Um, didn't Amazon just follow the model created by Walmart, particularly in regard to what you were saying with the Project Gazelle? Walmart went, uh, basically, yeah. they didn't start in the big cities where there were already Macy's and stores like that established. Mm -hmm. They went to these little shithole towns where there was, you know, Joe Blow's uh, TV store, and they said, Put oh, we'll, just, we'll, un we'll underprice you out of business. Yeah. So there's a thing called the Robinson-Patman Act. Uh, it, it prohibits um, a, a thing called predatory uh, pricing uh, and predatory buying. So this is when Walmart colludes with a manufacturer, say, to get a, um, a deal on TVs that the mom and pop shop on the street can't get, which means that they can sell the, the uh, TV more cheaply than the, the shop down the street can buy it. Um, also, Amazon did things like uh, when diapers.com entered the market and rebuffed uh, an offer from Amazon to buy its business, Amazon flipped a switch and started selling diapers below cost and lost $200 million in a month, which seems like a lot of money to, to throw them. at just putting a diaper vendor out of business. But the point was to tell every investor and every startup, if you ever try to do anything that Amazon might do, there is no limit to how much money the capital markets will give us to put wow. you out of business. Wow. We'll, we, we, will, we will go to the mattresses. 
And so, yeah, we see this and we see it happening now with the dollar stores where you've got these two um, nationwide chains, one backed by Wall Street, one backed by private equity. Um, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance just did a banger of a report on it. And a lot of what they do relies on predatory buying and predatory pricing. So the big packaged goods manufacturers collude with the dollar stores to sell them products more cheaply than their competitors can get, but also to sell products that are deceptive. So hmm. a Snickers bar that's one ounce lighter than the Snickers bar you can buy in any other store, oh. which they then sell slightly more cheap than, than any other store will have it. And they only sell those to the dollar stores. So these are ways that are of unfair competition. Um, the Robertson Patent Act hasn't been enforced since the Reagan years. That's why Walmart is kind of co-terminal with Reagan. Uh, and one of the things that federal enforcers are now saying is they are going to take this perfectly good law it's never struck off the books and they're going to start enforcing it. Uh, a lot of our problems are enforcement problems, not mm -hmm. legislative problems, which is good because Congress has a hard time making good legislation. Well, they but do. We a lot of laws. And, and you know what, your core, your, your battles with the whole the, the digital rights management, DRM, with the audiobooks is part of a bigger issue, which is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So yeah. back in 1996, when this passed under Bill Clinton, 98, uh, well, 90, okay, 98, it passed, but it came, it was, yeah, that's right. it, it came, came out, out in 96. 96. Yeah. So yeah. I was working in Los Angeles then doing radio. And, yeah. you know, we were told by AFTRA, watch out because stuff is coming. And so now it's a whole new world. The internet grew up around us and us it, from traditional media, radio, the industry I worked in 30, 40 years ago is non-existent. They come out in 98, it passes this set of rules that is so ridiculous, so outdated, mm -hmm. has no relation to reality today, yet we're still stuck with it. So let me tell I'm working on another project with uh -huh. a bunch of, and I'm giving you a little scoop here, with a bunch of women radio veterans like I am, we're putting together a project. It's going to be Women Who Rock. And it's going to be an online radio station and a podcast hub and, and a lot of stuff. It's not just music. But I'm programming the, the music station, which is all women. It's, it's female artists, back-to-back, -back, all genres. It's really great. I've got a test stream going, so I'm listening to it. But I went to look up the rules from the Digital Millennium Copyright Act on streaming music, you can't play the same artist more than three times in an hour, and yeah. you can't play more than two songs from one album or the third one if it's a cousin. Or I mean, it's such like nonsense. Yeah. And yet, and this is is thirty year old legislation, and nobody's even talking about doing anything with it. And to make matters worse, so we're going to have the the radio station. We're going to have a podcast section, and. On the podcast, you can't do music because there's no mechanism to pay for the music rights in a podcast. They've just not figured it out. And I have so many friends in the music industry and they're going, it's been 30 years and they're just not dealing with it. Yeah, you know, in Chokepoint Capitalism, my co-author, Rebecca Giblin, who's a, an eminent copyright scholar from the University of Melbourne, and I drill into legislative and regulatory reform, as well as changes in enforcement regimes and so on, that could really make a difference. And I'll, I will, maybe this is comforting. I, uh, Stein's law says that anything that can't go on forever eventually stops. And um, we have lurched under these, these inadequate 
rules under the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, we have lurched from crisis to crisis for two and a half decades, a, a whole generation. And uh, in that time, we have uh, only ever solved these problems by papering them over, by doing more of the same thing and hoping uh, for a different outcome, which may not be the formal definition of insanity, but is still, at the very least, not a, an advisable strategy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are now at this point where the the crises are coming faster and faster. And one of the things we need to do, and one of the things that choke point capitalism does, is, is lay out shovel-ready technical proposals so that when the crisis strikes and they say, by God, something must be done, they don't just do the same thing again and say, there, I did something. They, we actually have a plan that fits in the void that opens up at those moments of crisis. You know, I, I, in the book, we, we cite uh, my arch nemesis, Milton Friedman. <laughs> and I hope that every time I do, he looks up at me from hell where he is roasting <laughs> on a rotisserie spike and, and shakes his, his, his fist at me. Um, and, and Friedman, you know, he was in this moment in the 30 years after World War II when we were seeing the social safety net being built and the Great Society, an unequal but, but powerful and profound moment of, of human liberation and pluralism, which was only getting better by the day. You know, the people who had been abandoned by the first rush of it, women, people of color, indigenous people, were finding solidarity and voice within that movement. And Friedman's program was to roll all that back and restore us to a kind of gilded age feudalism. And people would say, Milton, are you nuts? People love this stuff. They're happy. They, they own houses. They're socially mobile. Their kids are going to college. Why would they, why would anyone like your program? And he would say, look, when the crisis comes, and crises always come, oil shocks, pandemics, meteor strikes, wars, whatever, when the crisis comes, people will reach for ideas lying around. Oh. Things that are at the periphery can move from the periphery to the center like that. And that's what we lived through for 40 years. Right. And we are at a moment in which crises are coming faster and faster, and we shouldn't let those good crises go to waste. The only thing worse and the crises we know on our horizon, uh, economic crises, environmental crises, labor crises, the only thing worse than those occurring is for us to do nothing about them to prevent them from growing worse. And so that's why we need these shovel-ready ideas kicking around so that we can have something to do when the crisis arises. Uh, th- you know, that's a great idea. And and that's what I guess smart people and the, like you should be doing, having a, a, a plan ready to go. Oh, yeah. you mean now you're ready to start talking about uh, how to pay musicians for licensing individual songs? Perfect right. example. You mentioned about uh, YouTube abusing creators. I, I've been suspended from YouTube for months at a time because 20 seconds of a Don Henley song from yeah. a show 10 years ago that's in my archives. Their, their bot crawled it and found it and slapped me with a copyright violation. Yeah. Let, yeah, let I me mean, pay. I'll pay, but no, yeah. they're going to suspend you for three months. Yeah, I mean, YouTube has uh, it's and it's uh, and one of the points that we make in choke point capitalism is that this is not a problem that the tech industry is mean to musicians and the entertainment industry is good to them, because all the music copyrights in the world are controlled by three companies: Warner Universal and Sony have seventy percent of all the sound recording copyrights in the world in their portfolio, and sixty-five percent of all of the composition copyrights wow. in their portfolios. 
And that meant that when Spotify wanted to start, Spotify could not get a license without giving them giant equity stakes. They were business partners in Spotify. They designed Spotify. And when you hear about the rock bottom royalty rates that Spotify plays to musicians, pays mm-hmm. to musicians, it's because the record labels demanded rock bottom royalty rates because every dollar that Spotify pays to their licensed partners is a dollar that is not available for its owners. And so when the labels sit there as both owners and licensed partners, they get to choose, do we take money out of this business in royalties, which we have to share with our artists, or do we take money out of it in dividends, IPO valuations, and other things that emerge from a high cost value, a a favorable cost um, uh, basis. They always choose something that is bad for artists and good for themselves. So you have these two nearly identically bad ways of dealing with artists. You have the labels, you have the tech company, YouTube and Spotify. And, you know, it's like the final scene of Animal Farm. You look from the the pigs to the men and the men to the pigs and you can't tell the difference. The problem isn't that tech makes you virtuous or that it makes you wicked nor is it that people in the music industry are uniquely venal or uniquely care about the arts. It is that firms unrestrained by competition nor regulation will inevitably uh, abuse the political system and their workforce to extract as much as they can from them. No matter what lofty goals they have, no matter what uh, mission statement they write above the door, McDonald's pays $25 an hour in Scandinavia, not because Swedes make better franchisees, but because the law requires them to, uh-huh. right? Yep. That is the only way that we're going to get this uh, is to make corporations weaker than the state and to make the state responsive to the people. Um, do you think that could happen, uh, especially with the makeup of Congress today? Anything that can't go on forever will eventually stop. Uh-huh. Okay. Right? I mean, yep. it's, it's, there's the, it's not going to where So there are two generations about to retire with no retirement savings. Those people aren't going to dig holes, climb inside, and pull the dirt in on top of themselves. No. Right? In the same way that the veterans who came back from World War I and were denied their, their pensions did not say, well, I guess I'll just, I don't know, starve. They became the bonus army. They marched on D.C. They threw Hoover out of office and got FDR into office. Right? People will not tolerate inequity, at least not when it um, hits a certain scale. At a certain scale, things start to fall apart. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes what falls apart is the consensus that um, uh, uh, wealth is virtue, virtue wealth, and therefore poverty is vice. And everyone who is doing poorly made bad choices and everyone who's doing well made good choices. Uh, you know, th- those, that consensus only lasts until you or someone you love has their fingers slip off the ladder and drops below into the depths. And then that consensus falls apart. Yeah, but, you know, part of it is I also look at um, look at what's going on on Twitter where Elon Musk, I guess overspent by $22 billion, but who's counting, sure. and now yeah. wants to recoup some of his losses by charging us, <clears throat> yeah. those of us who were verified and what verified means that they simply confirm that you're who you say you are. So they know if Cory Doctorow tweets something, it's you, same with me. Right. Now they're going to take away our actual verified uh, yeah. check marks unless we pay them 8 to $11 a month, yeah. which by the way, well, anybody you know- can do to get a check mark now. So it doesn't <laughs> mean you're verified. Yeah. Well, you know, other tech barons have slightly more executive function than Musk, who is really a very stupid man. <laughs> yes. And so they draw 
in faint lines of pencil that are so faint that it's hard to see the picture that they're drawing. And Musk grabs the crayon in his fist like a toddler and scrawls in ways that are impossible to miss. And so again, I, you know, call me a, a internet poisoned, but I like Twitter. <laughs> and uh, the fact that Musk has destroyed it in this in this kind of very visible, fast-moving way, as opposed to the slow and shitification of Facebook or the other platforms that have gone its way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I loved Google Search. I was an Alta Vista user who was had the scales fall from my eyes the first time I tried Google Search. I went out and read the paper. I read the the, the PageRank paper that uh, uh, Bryn and Page wrote about how it worked, and I was so profoundly changed in terms of the way that I view technology by it. Among other things, it said that no search engine should ever accept advertising. Oh. <laughs> founding <laughs> principles of Google. Wow. Yeah, so, I remember. So, what was it? Don't don't be evil? I remember that one too. Don't be evil. That yeah. too. But that one is a lot more ambiguous. Yes, search engines shouldn't take advertising. There you go. That is, is not what lawyers would call mere puffery. Right. Search, it, it is a definitive statement. So, you know, I, I, I think that the slow and shitification while these other services gave them plausible deniability and let them say, well, these are the great forces of history. It is technological change. It is trends as opposed to decisions taken by named individuals who made us all profoundly miserable and whose home addresses we know. Right. Right. That, that I think is the difference now. And so, you know, when the plausible deniability goes away, the room for action opens because it becomes a lot harder, you know, in the same way as the climate emergency worsens, it becomes a lot harder to become a denialist. And you see people pivoting now on the climate denial movement to climate nihilism, right? It's, uh, yeah, okay, clim the climate emergency is real, but it's too late to, to change our habits. We have to, you know, place all of our bets on carbon sequestration, right? It's like saying, yeah, I know for years, I ignored you when you said this bus was driving towards a cliff, but we can't swerve now or we might roll. We're just going to have to figure out how to put wings on the bus, right? <laughs> right. And, and right. you know, like, meanwhile, these guys have got parachutes, yeah. right? They're, they've got luxury bunkers in, in New Zealand. So, you know, I, I think that like, at this moment, it is going to be a lot harder to say nothing to see here. And and that means that the the moment is ours to seize. This is our moment to do something that will uh, spur action, to propose detailed things. And I mentioned I, I've written a lot of books. I have a book coming out in September from Verso called The Internet Con. That's a set of policy prescriptions wow. for what we should do about tech giants. Uh, and it is like, again, this extremely detailed, but I hope very readable summation of the work that I've done for 22 years now on these questions and, and uh, uh, about what lessons we can learn from previous failures and about what we should do in this moment when we are willing to do something about the tech giants mm -hmm. so that it's not just doing the same thing again and hoping for a different outcome. Right. Well, it, it, uh, uh, something's got to be done because there is this concerted effort on the part of the right to dumb us down, to take us back to the past, to, you know, yeah. rewrite history, to erase big parts of history. What they're doing in the schools down here is horrendous. And yep. in fact, they're just the, the legislature in Florida just passed a law that's going to go to the governor's desk and he'll sign it that expands the don't say gay bill to where you can't talk about anything having to do with gender or uh, or uh, sexuality yep. from third grade to eighth grade. 
I mean, yeah. you can't. Girls going into eighth grade have gotten their periods, but they're not allowed to talk about it at school. Yeah. The, 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 and the, by the same token, I hate to say this, you know, the whole Donald Trump phenomenon. He got so popular because people believed the bullshit story built about his character on The Apprentice that he was That's this true. successful businessman. And they think he's this successful billionaire businessman. He's got to know what he's doing. He's the guy. We have to trust him with the economy when we know who he is. But they're believing yeah, I, the, what they've been fed. I hear you. But I also think, again, this is why I'm a leftist and not a liberal, that we need to understand that when Tim Geithner says – Fuck people whose mortgages are underwater. We're foaming the runway for the banks. Yeah, they, which they exactly quote, what they did. Yeah, a direct quote. We're foaming the runway for the banks with their mortgages, with their homes. Yeah, places where their families live, where everything they own is gathered, where they were rooked yep. into predatory mortgages, and those people hear someone say the Democrats can't be trusted with the economy. Right. 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 Like, if you want to prove that Democrats can be trusted with the economy, do what Lincoln did. Sign law after law that the Supreme Court strikes down. Keep uh, enforcing laws that the Supreme Court declares to be illegal, right? Let the nine dotards in robes understand that their legitimacy is being threatened because we forgave student debt. Right. Because we bailed out the um, uh, uh, mom and pops and not Silicon Valley, because we did all the things that we're told are impossible. Let the let the judges know and see what they do. Call their bluff. Look, the worst thing that can possibly happen is those things won't occur. Right. That we won't get student debt relief. We're already not getting student debt relief. Right. So, yeah, let's 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 let um, l let's go ahead and do something muscular. Let's go ahead and do something that causes people to believe that the progressive party has their back, that it's not McKinseyite, yeah, uh, deferential yeah. technocrats, that we care about distributional outcomes. You know, one of the one of the doctrines of Milton Friedman and his his cronies like uh, uh, Robert Bork, the the guy who didn't make it on the Supreme Court because he was Richard Nixon's Solicitor General and then screwed up antitrust, right. is that we shouldn't care about what they call distributional outcomes. So this is like economies for um, all we need to care about is that the pie is getting bigger. Who gets which slice of the pie is not a thing that governments should care about. This is a thing that you can only say if you're getting the biggest slice right. of the pie. Right, right. <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, let us say in, in unequivocal, uh, unequivocal terms, let him give a speech from the bully pulpit that says, um, they told, they've told us for 40 years that distributional outcomes don't matter, which is to say that we shouldn't care if the rich are getting richer and everyone else is getting poorer so long as America itself is getting richer. Oh, and today, whenever eight, eight people control 50% of the wealth in the world, it's time to start caring about distributional outcomes again. Hell I yeah. want everyone in this country to have a share. Right? Yeah. Let them say that and let them pass a law or a policy to do it and then let the Supreme Court strike it down and let them do it again and again and again and then let's have an election about it, which is a referendum on it, and let's let's give people something to vote for, not something to vote against. Please, that's oh, that's been my mantra for years, and that's the problem with the Democrats. Is I've always voted against, the, uh, and certainly in presidential races, voted against the other guy. Give me somebody to vote for. Hell yeah, yeah, hell yeah, please, yeah. Um, 
And with that, that's probably a good note to end up. We could keep going for hours. I love talking I'll with the you. book around again. Yes, Redteamblues.com. Well, thank the, you. That's the Kickstarter with, for my anti-finance finance thriller. I was just bringing it up. I've got it right here. So it's the Kickstarter. You, you can go on there. You back this project. You'll get a copy. You'll get the audio book. Now, if people want to buy the actual physical the book. The audio book, the hardcover. All there. All for sale there. All yeah. there. So um, go to uh, oh, Red cool. Come Team. Come out the same day McMillan brings it out uh, in bookstores. Very on, cool. On, I'm having them shipped. Red Team blues.com uh cory doctorow it is always a pleasure thank you so much likewise lovely to chat with you thank you for having and me on again, you as well Nicole. thank you for coming anytime i i i love talking to you well, I, I always learn more something books too. i'll see you soon we'll do it yeah bring it all right, all right. and i'll let thank you know you. when the radio station launches very good all right do. thanks so Bye. much cory doctorow everybody uh find him on twitter still at doctorow and read his blog it's at um Oh, um, I'm well, I'm drawing a blank. It's um, um, pluralistic.net, pluralistic.net. It'll all be on my blog at nicolesandler.com slash uh, 3-31-23. My God, it is Friday, and we are two minutes away from the end of the show. So while we were talking, Lauren Mayer sent the audio. She doesn't have the video done yet, but she recorded the song, I told her, please feel free to rewrite the lyrics because, honestly, Hal, our chatbot buddy, his lyrics weren't great. So uh, we we started it here on the show yesterday. Lauren Mayer finished it for us. So we'll go out with our anthem for the weekend. Um, uh, we'll lose uh, progressive voices in the middle of this. So have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday. And um, take it away, Lauren. Seems Trump had a magic genie to help him get away with each offense. But finally, the mango Mussolini is gonna face a legal consequence. He got away with major crimes for life forever. Facing not one, two, three, but 34 counts. He's so indicted for the crimes they cited. He's about to lose his mind and he can't abide it. He's so indicted, though of course he'll fight it. But we know, we know, we know, we know, we know he's guilty, guilty. It seems like it's been ages that we've waited. How many times we thought today's the day. But as he said, he's finally indicated. With more investigations underway. He might get indicted for what he incited. Lots of cases coming soon and we're so delighted. He's so indicted, though of course he'll fight it. But we know, we know, we know, we know, we know he's guilty, guilty. Anti-Semitic critics blame it on George Soros. His pals are lying, crying, saying it's the last straw, but ex-presidents are not above the law. He's so indicted. 
crimes they cited. He might even go to jail, and we're quite delighted. He's so indicted, though of course he'll fight it. But we know, we know, we know, we know, we know he's guilty, guilty. He's whining for me. We're thanking Stormy. We didn't wait in vain. The country had to wait, but as we celebrate, we'll run out of champagne. He's whining for me. We're thanking Stormy. We didn't wait in vain. The country had to wait, but as we celebrate, we'll run out of shame. It's time for Nicole Sandler. What's news from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. The New York Times broke the news Thursday afternoon, shortly after 5 Eastern, with the headline blaring, Grand Jury Votes to Indict Trump. Just about two hours later, at about 7.15 Eastern, Thursday night, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg issued a statement. This evening, we contacted Mr. Trump's attorney to coordinate his surrender to the Manhattan DA's office for arraignment on a Supreme Court indictment, which remains sealed. Guidance will be provided when the arraignment date is selected. Well, that arraignment date looks like it may be happening on Tuesday, as Trump will reportedly go back to New York and present himself for arraignment. He'll be fingerprinted, we'll have a mugshot taken, and we'll make history as the first person ever to serve as president and then be charged with a crime. As for his 2024 presidential campaign, he can still run, even if convicted. So we likely won't see the still-sealed indictment until the arraignment, but CNN is reporting that there are 34 counts. But we don't know the actual charges yet. What we do know is that the investigation centered on a $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels, arranged by Trump's then-attorney and fixer Michael Cohen, for her to keep quiet about what she claimed was a one-night stand with the former guy, which he denies. Now, the investigation by Alvin Bragg's office has focused on whether Trump's company falsified records to cover up the checks reimbursing Cohen for the hush money payment. Trump, of course, said that he is a completely innocent person and accused Bragg, a Democrat, of a political persecution and election interference at the highest level of history. Of course, he responded almost immediately to the news by posting a rant on the Orwellian named Truth Social that began, quote, these thugs and radical left monsters have just indicated the 45th president of the United States. Yes, indicated not indicted, in all capital letters. The New York Times, in analysis, pointing out that the false business records charge is standard operating procedure for that district attorney's office, white-collar practice. Since Bragg took office just last year, prosecutors have filed 117 felony counts of the charge against 29 individuals and companies, this according to data kept by the office. So those disingenuous defenders of the former guy twisting themselves into pretzels, claiming that if Trump was just some regular guy, these charges never would have been brought. They're lying. But come on, you should expect that by now. Sadly, you should also expect the maggots to all emulate the former guy himself and incite people to violence. Take Tucker Carlson. 
Please, uh, for example, at the Fox Fake News Channel, who we all know from the Dominion lawsuit filings, hates Donald Trump passionately. His words, not mine. And just days after yet another horrific school shooting, Tucker Carlson said on his show in response to a fearmongering guest warning of this launching us into a civil war era, Tucker Carlson actually said, Probably not the best time to give up your AR-15. And I think most people know that. Not the best time to give up your AR-15s? And everybody knows that? You know, if Fox were on an over-the-air channel instead of on cable, they'd already be off the air. Shame on them. Shame on the people who watch that crap. And shame on our regulators for not preventing this kind of inflammatory talk on channels available for even the youngest impressionable minds to hear. There is other news, though dwarfed by the the news of the indictment. But moving on, uh, this is important. A federal judge in Texas on Thursday struck down an Obamacare requirement that insurance plans cover preventive health care, like cancer and diabetes screenings, and pregnancy care. The provision also called for insurance plans to cover certain drugs like those for HIV prevention. This ruling could mark a major setback for President Biden's so-called cancer moonshot goal of using early screenings to sharply reduce cancer rates. The judge is Reed O'Connor of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas has been fighting against the Affordable Care Act for 10 years now. He says that the mandate violated the Constitution's Appointments Clause because U.S. Preventive Services Task Force's members weren't presidential appointees confirmed by the Senate. Seriously? And as if that's not bad enough, them taking away our health coverage, pandemic-era policies affecting Medicaid eligibility began expiring this weekend. A change that's expected to affect between 4 million and 15 million Americans currently enrolled in the low-income health care coverage program. And the effects could be devastating. And while all that's going on, the Florida legislature on Thursday advanced two frightening pieces of legislation. One would do away with any permitting or training requirements for a citizen to carry a concealed weapon anywhere in the state with no license, no registration, no training necessary. What could possibly go wrong? And they've also edged closer to the governor signing one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country, a six-week abortion ban. A point at which most women don't even know they're pregnant. And it happened again. I don't know what's going on. My gremlins are out to get me. So with that, we're done. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you Monday. Be good. Have fun. And uh, he's so indicted. Bye.